Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. On a dating app, you play by swiping, and then you're matching with people, and a match is kind of a win, and so you get that little adrenaline rush. Hi, I'm Rebecca Zanbergen in Toronto. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. Gen Z millennials are not as convinced about the value proposition of dating apps as maybe they were a couple of years ago. Our question, have online apps made dating better or worse? What's your dating app story? Practically every person I've met has been through online dating. You know, I know the same people my friends know, so in order to widen my circle, I need to uh, try other things. you got to learn kind of who the, the phonies are or people aren't representing themselves properly or um, just not telling the full truth. The person became very abusive through the messaging system, uh, through the app. Gone are the days of sheepishly sitting in the dark, scrolling plenty of fish or lava life on that old laptop that always seemed to overheat. 20 years ago, we were all just dabbling in online dating and we were unsure, could we really find love online? Well, millions of swipe rights later, online dating apps are arguably the norm. We all know someone who has found a little bit of fun, friendship or even true love on the app. But it can all feel a bit like shopping. Should I add this guy to my card or toss him aside like the dozens and dozens before him? Is online dating still working? Our question, have online apps made dating better or worse? What's your dating app story? And in the last half hour, our AMA is about that dispute with your neighbor. It could be a fence, driveway, or pot smoke. We'll have a real estate lawyer here to help you cut through the haze and de-escalate the situation. I'm Rebecca Zanbergen in Toronto from CBC Radio. This is Check Up the Podcast, cross-country checkups live broadcast from December 3rd, 2023. I want to start with one of those people who thinks online apps have made dating worse. In fact, my first guest decided to stop using online dating apps, at least for a little while. Rafaela Earnshaw is 20 years old and single, and she briefly quit using dating apps, at least until a couple of weeks ago. We've reached her in Calgary. Hello. Hi. Rafaela, why are you on the apps? What, what's sort of the end game for you? Um, hopefully just meeting someone. <laughs> I'm not in a rush, though. You want to meet someone, and do you want to meet them for true love, or, or you're really up for anything at this point? Up for anything, honestly. Okay. So why did you then quit online dating for, for a little bit? Um, just because it wasn't really going anywhere. It's really hot. There's so many apps out there, so many people. Um, in a place like Calgary, there's, it's pretty small, so you can't see the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's just so much easier and best to like, meet people in real life, I think. Right. It's a much more natural connection. How many apps are you on? Um, I'm only on one now, but... There's like four or five out there that yeah. you can be on. <laughs> how, how do you know which one you should dedicate most of your time to? I mean, is there one that um, you prefer? I 
I'm currently on Tinder, but <laughs> um, I know there's like a few that are really good, like Bumble, so the woman speaks first and stuff like that. Um, I don't really have a preference. Tinder has just worked better for me. Um, but yeah, there's some good ones out there. You, you say you actually sort of know and run into the same people over and over. I mean, Calgary's a big, a big city, but that, that happens? Oh yeah, Calgary is, it's big, but it's actually a lot smaller than you would think. You run into the same circles over and over again, which is not a bad thing, um, but yeah. How, how much success have you had? Get, run us through some of your experiences. <laughs> Um, I've, to be fair, I've never had a bad date, touch wood, but, um, I've, I've had some good stories. I've been on double dates. I've done like, me and my friends did like this first date party. Like it was like eight of us, um, eight girlfriends. And then we all had to like have a first date from a dating app. It had to be like fresh first date. Um, you couldn't be talking to them. You couldn't have been on like a second date or anything. So we did like a first date party and then we all met. We didn't tell the boys what was happening until they showed up. And then we we're like, surprise, it's a first date party. Um, so stuff like that. Yeah. So you can, good little... you can have some fun on the app then. Yeah, that's definitely the way to do it. You have to have fun with it. You can't take it too seriously. You have to like be natural and have fun with it. And how long are you spending on the apps before you meet in person? I mean, what do you have a rule of thumb on that? I... I hate texting. I, I'm, you know, I'll text like a couple of days and then I'm like, okay, let's meet. I just, I think you can hide so easily behind a phone, which is a great thing, but also a terrible thing. I'm more like, I'd rather just talk to you in person. I don't want to know about your life over text. It just like doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm here live with Rafaela Earnshaw. She briefly gave up on online dating apps. Our question today, have online apps made dating better or worse? Have they worked for you? You can call us with your story, one 416 8333 or go to cbc.ca slash Now, Rafaela, why did you rejoin? You gave them up, but, but you're back. <laughs> Um, it's kind of a love, a love hate story. I'm not going to lie. Um, just to, you know, try it out again. Why not? How, how long were you, were you off of them? Uh, not that like yeah. two months, <laughs> really not that long. So like I said, it's a love hate story. It certainly sounds like, and, and, and have you had better luck this time around? Um, yeah, depends. I'm not really like actively looking, but it's good to be on them. And if it happens, it happens. Okay, I want to go to our first caller. Lo Lauren is calling from Vancouver. Lo, what are your thoughts? Is it has it made it better or worse online dating? Yeah, I think it's a bit complicated because I think it can be really hard to meet people in person. So online dating feels almost necessary, but I feel like the apps aren't actually designed in a way that is useful. Like we have the technology, we have these algorithms that could be really matching us with aligned people, but instead the apps are kind of forcing us to be stuck in this swipe mode, which I personally hate and have a really hard time with. Um, and then even if you pay for features, you're still kind of stuck in that swipe mode. And um, like you're not necessarily even getting matched with people who uh, have the same interests or like, you know, you can put in all of these things like want kids or don't want kids. And, and yet you're still kind of forced to move through all these people who aren't even necessarily aligned. So I think there's like a big problem with not actually having, um, like I just haven't found a platform that I actually think is reasonable. And so it gets really frustrating. So you, you say you're stuck in what kind of mode when you're on the app? 
swiping, like a swipe oh, mode. A swipe mode. You're like That's constantly right. like swiping people. And I just, I don't find that to be like a very nice experience <laughs> and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. But, but are, are you still on the apps? Are you still giving it a go? Yeah, I also have had this love-hate relationship. I mean, I don't love them, um, but I also find it really challenging um, to meet people outside of apps. Like, I do meet people, but I, I feel like I've kind of, you know, I tap my personal networks to a certain extent, and so many people I know have met people through online dating, and so I feel like I'm forced to try it again, and then I get, you know, annoyed with it, then I'll get off of it, and then, you know, I'm not meeting people, so I'll try again, and it's kind of this back-and-forth loop. <laughs> okay, and, and and so what are you what are you actually after? What is your end game? I feel like that, that's an important part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking for a life partner um, and to, like, build home and family with. And Have- I think... And, yeah. and have you had any relationships pan out thus far? Uh, I mean, I've had lots of great relationships, none of them from online dating. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've gone on a couple nice dates, uh, some horrible dates, but and I've met some friends through online dating, but generally it hasn't been so successful for me. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it's better or worse, do you think, that what online dating has done for dating more generally? Um, I think worse, but it could be better. And that's what I'm saying is that it's just these platforms aren't designed in a way like I don't think they're really designed for you to meet people. They're designed to keep people on them so that they will pay for the app. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later to hear from someone who studies sort of the algorithms and all of the stuff that goes into the business of the app. So thank you for this, Lo. We appreciate your comments today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much. So today we want to hear your swiping stories about online dating. And I want to bring in a guest who will be with us for the next half hour to share advice and weigh in on your calls. Nicole Haley is a dating and relationship coach, and she joins me from Vancouver. Good afternoon, Nicole. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. So what what do you hear from clients about the ways in which they approach online dating? Do they like it? Do they hate it? Does it feel like a necessary evil? Yeah, that's such a great question. So many people come to me and they, they've they never said, oh, I love online dating. It's my favorite way to meet people. And like the previous callers have both mentioned, it kind of feels like this necessity on how to meet people. And I think we get easily discouraged on it because we assume the harder we try that it should just naturally happen. And we get a lot of disappointment. And I think the apps have conditioned us to look for qualities or traits that really don't necessarily lead um, to a long fulfilling relationship, like height, job, career, Um, income, those things aren't necessarily what's going to make a long-term relationship. It's those qualities like humor, kindness, thoughtfulness, but you can't discern that on a dating app. There's not enough information to do that. So like the caller before Laura was saying is that you don't have the right information. And so it's really challenging to know who to swipe on because the information we're giving really isn't going to tell us, are we going to fit with this person in real life connections? Are they that compatible? Does it bring you to the point, though, you you meet someone online and then you're able to meet with them in real life and then you can find out all of that stuff? No. Yes. 
I would totally agree. But what happens is we aren't giving ourselves a chance on how to swipe. So what happens is we're using the information we get. And like you mentioned earlier, it's like almost like you're shopping. We're trying to find these criteria. And sometimes we might not actually have the right criteria to know who to swipe on. We're using just this quick information, a few sentences from a prompt or photos, and then we fill in the gaps of who we think this person is or who we don't think they are. And so sometimes we might swipe on people that actually could be a really good fit that if you met in person, you're like, wow, this is great. But online, they don't showcase that. And so I think a lot of times we miss great opportunities or we swipe thinking this would be a great opportunity and it's not. Yeah. Kind of like grass is greener always, right? You always want to go to the next thing. Absolutely. And especially on this kind of a platform when there's an abundance, right? There's such a thing as when we have too much options, we actually aren't satisfied because we're always wondering, well, is there a better choice? Am I making the right choice? And so we get actually fatigued or it's like overwhelmed by the possibilities. And then we're never really taking the opportunity we have in front of us and exploring it deeper. We don't let it go there. We're like, oh, I'll just go next. Swipe, uh, swipe left. <laughs> yeah. Are you finding that people are less interested in the apps or they have less hope in what will come of, mm. of a relationship that started on an app? I don't think people lose hope if they've met someone on the app and it's worked, but I think people are losing hope in the apps in general. And the longer we're on apps in different stages of life too, like if we're in our mid thirties and we're really trying to find that long-term committed partner, it starts to feel a lot more fatigue. If we're in our early twenties and we still feel like life's got a lot of opportunity and we're not really sure if we want someone long-term, then maybe we're not as fatigued by it. But the older we get and the more committed we are to our our outside goal, the more, yeah, it definitely can be discouraging. And I almost think it's almost like when we aren't getting what we want, it's like micro rejections. And those micro rejections start to wither away our self-esteem and confidence that we will find somebody, whether it's on the app or in general, out and about, we start to lose hope in general. Don't people start to learn how to just deal with those, what you call micro uh, rejections? Mm-hmm. Because they're just, I mean, it's it's kind of part of the whole experience. If you're on an app, expect to be rejected over and over, which is sad, but yeah. but part of the game, right? Yeah. True. I agree, but I think it still hurts. And I think people aren't realizing they get kind of attached. And so I think we invest a lot when we're putting ourselves out there. We feel quite vulnerable. We're starting conversations that way they never go anywhere. They never get to the actual date. Or we go on these dates expecting this person to be someone we want or hoping for, and it doesn't work out. And so I think we get invested and we get attached to the outcome and we don't handle these rejections very well. You have seen, though, I know, some success stories out there as well. I don't know if it's the if it's the majority or if it's just a very small sliver of of what's going on on the apps. But tell us, like, how often is it happening that someone finds what they were looking Mm -hmm. for? I think it happens more often than we think. Uh, but I, what I find is, is that it, people have to be really open to it and curious and open to finding someone that they might not naturally swipe on. So for example, like I had a client who was really committed to like a height thing and that's not unusual, but if they had met that person out and about, they wouldn't know from five, nine to five, 10, if this person was that height, they would have been enamored by maybe their style, their humor, their conversation that started. But on the app, we get so fixated on these specific specific traits. And so if you're open to being able to go and expand your criteria, if you're willing to swipe on people you might not sure on, opportunities can definitely be there. And I've seen it hands over hands of clients meeting men or people on online. Hmm. I'm, I'm here live with Nicole Haley. She's a dating and relationship coach. Our question today, hmm. have online apps made dating better or worse? What's your dating app story? You can call us at one 416 
888-416-8333. Again, one 416 or go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. I want to get to the lines, but I just want to know your thoughts, Nicole. Has it gotten better or worse since we have online apps to deal with dating? Has it gotten worse? I would definitely say it's more challenging. <laughs> For sure. I think dating in general has gotten trickier. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I I guess, you know, before we had apps, were things better? In my opinion, yes, just because we (laughs) would take the opportunity to really get to know somebody. And when you went out and got a phone number, you got so excited and you were like eager to explore it. But now when there's so much possibility and you don't need a phone number, you just have an app with hundreds and hundreds of people, we don't invest at the same level. And we're a lot quick to get out of something or not give something a try. We're looking for this perfect person, this ideal person. And nobody's perfect and there is no perfect relationship, but we've kind of conditioned ourselves to think there will always be that next person that could be perfect for mm-hmm. us. Okay, Nicole, stick around. We're going to go to the lines here. We've got Ruth on the line from Peterborough. Uh, Ruth, mm-hmm. what do you think? What What are your thoughts on online dating? And I don't know if this is something that you have experimented with, Ruth. Um, I can be counted as a success story. Um, I'm fairly elderly, and I don't get many opportunities to meet people. I can't go to bars or, uh, you know, I don't go to very many meetings. I go to a few clubs. Um, But, um, yeah, I uh, decided after my husband died, I decided to learn to play bridge. And then after a while, I got very enthusiastic and I found I really needed to have a partner. And so I then wondered how would I find a partner And I decided, well, advertise. So um, I went on to a number of dating sites. Um, I only started with two, but then they kept giving me extra ones. So um, I ended up with getting 59 men offered to me every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Ruth, how how old were you when, when you were doing this? 75. 75. Okay, so where where does the success part come in? How did you meet someone? Um, well, in my profile, I said what I was I wasn't looking for anyone of any height or anything like that. Um, I was looking for somebody who played bridge, um, was keen on uh, gardening, was handy around the house and was willing to come and live in my house because I was just too old to think of moving out. And and who did you find? And I eventually, I found my partner, Merle. Um, Merle is, well, at the time, he was 82. Uh, I was 75. Uh, he definitely plays bridge. And, uh, and he was quite keen on gardening and handy around the house. And how long um, have you been together now? And we've now been together for seven years. Wow. So what would you say when you hear the stories where people are so disillusioned with the apps, those who are, you know, of the variety of person that is younger that you would assume is associated with an app like this? What, what would you tell them? What's your advice? Well, I met a whole lot of scammers and I, I just took it, you know, all with a pinch of salt. Uh, I, I I enjoyed the stories, and, and in fact, um, the people that I was learning bridge with, the uh, the clubs I used to go and play with, 
I would entertain them with stories of my la- latest experiences on the online dating. Um, how so, how many of these men did you actually go out with? Um, oh, about half a dozen, I think. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And it sounds as though you're you're happy now. I mean, would you say that you you're living a, a good life now with with your with your partner? I'm certainly living a comfortable life. Well, Ruth, I'm so happy for you. Thank you for sharing your story. You're very welcome. Okay, that is Ruth in Peterborough. Nicole Haley is a dating coach and a relationship coach, and she's joining us from Vancouver. What do you think when you hear Ruth's call? Oh, I love it. It just brings so much hope that there isn't an age category at all for online dating. Anything's possible if you're willing to put yourself out there. And I love that she didn't give up, even though there was some scammers and dates that didn't go well or people she didn't connect with. She kept going. And sure enough, she met someone that really clicked with her and had a lot of the same interests. And I think that's such a great example of believing in what you want and keeping going. Are there red flags, Nicole? I mean, you know, she talked about scammers and we certainly know there are a lot of people on the app who are in it for reasons that aren't the right ones. Mm -hmm. So what would you what what should people watch Mm -hmm. out? for. Absolutely. There are definitely good and bad people on the line. What you want to think about is pictures that you can't really see somebody if they're always got sunglasses, if the pictures are really blurry. If of course they're asking for money, that's a red flag right there and end it, exit. You don't want anything to do with that. People shouldn't want your money. If they refuse to meet in person, if they only want to do a phone call, if they um, sound a bit shady, like they're not giving you a lot of information, the information they tell you doesn't line up to who you read on their profile or the last conversation you had. You just want to feel into your spider senses, your your gut. You will get a sense and question it. Absolutely question it. Um, and always make sure when you are meeting that you're in a safe space. Um, don't assume that just because you've been chatting with somebody that you know them. You do want to take care and be safe physically as well. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Joel Espedito in Scarborough joining us now and I'm excited to, to hear from from Joel. Uh, we've had heard from a lot of women. So Joel, tell me tell me your thoughts on online dating using the apps. How has it worked for you? Well, uh, hit and miss. It all started uh, four years ago. I had broken up from a long-term 19-year relationship and um, for a little while uh, no dating action, just went to work, did the normal thing, no time to socialize. And then I realized, you know what, she told me that uh, we were, we're still best of friends. She told me that she was on dating apps and she'd been dating. And I thought, you know what, why not give it a try? I mean, it's not, I'm not faring well on my own doing nothing, so I'll, I'll give it a try. It never occurred to me to use it because every time I'd seen anything about the apps, I always thought, oh, it's a, it's a female thing. But then I think, <laughs> well, with every female, well, most of the case, there's a male too involved, right? So why not try it? Um, I tried it a year and a half ago, uh, mixed results. I went with someone and my first experience, actually, I was actually stood up. So that was my first experience. I thought, are all dates like this? <laughs> Not a good start. Uh, yeah. We were chatting for a week. We had exchanged info. We said where we were going to meet. We exchanged pictures right down to the last minute. And then I waited and then she didn't show up. I waited a few more minutes. She didn't show up. Then I looked. Her profile was gone. Her chat was gone. So she ghosted me. Hmm. Um, what, what did that on, feel like, Joel? I'm just curious. You know, you, you you got out of this long relationship. You you put yourself out there only to be stood up. What what did that feel like that first time? Frustrating. 
I frustrating bet. as heck because it's like here you are you're putting when you go out there on those apps you're really putting yourself you're you're kind of in a vulnerable state because you're putting yourself open to all these different people and it's a hit or miss you don't know what's going to become of it it was especially my first experience so I didn't know what to really expect because I've never I've always done it organically the old-fashioned way you meet up someone in person and you go from there this time it's like you're going by something online it's unheard of for me mm-hmm. so yeah it was frustrating and it made me think, like, is this really what it is? Do people do this all the time? And maybe they do, but it was my first experience. But I figured, you know what, nothing to lose, just keep going. Then I met somebody, and then uh, she was hot and cold. We were in it for a few months. But then, you know, um, I, I feel for people suffering uh, with mental health. Uh, she did reveal to me that she uh, was experiencing, uh, she was diagnosed bipolar. And uh, it was hard to deal with. I'd never dealt with it before, so it was uh, challenging for me. Um, it was a difficult experience, but I learned from it, um, so it was good. And uh, I went on to another one, and the the issue was this girl that I was with for about four months, she'd been dating for years via the apps, for years. Meanwhile, for me, it's just my year at that she, time. She was a pro. And, uh, <laughs> so she was jaded. She'd been through many men who'd been using her, lied to her, abused her, you know, everything. Mm. So I when, when there was a misunderstanding between us, she put on the, the halter. She refused to see my way or anything or, or compromise or hear my side. She just made up her mind. You know, I, I kind of get it because after all those years of being misled, the, the trust issue is maybe there for her. So, so Joel, so, I'm, I'm curious, you know, before we get into to too many of the details of your various relationships from the app, but I'm, you know, as someone who had a 19-year relationship, so presumably that relationship you, you met organically somewhere in real life. So as someone who's done both versions of meeting someone... What is your answer to the question? Do you think dating now is worse because of the apps or, or is it better? It depends on what you mean by that, because if you talk about convenience, then the dating apps. In August and September alone, I dated 12 women at the same time, So, um, which is different from what I'm used to doing in person, which is one at a time. Um, so if you're looking for convenience, dating apps is the way to go. But if you're looking to really get to know somebody, nothing really beats being in person. Um, because you have that interaction mm-hmm. that first, you know, from the from the get go, that that face to face interaction, that that feeling, that instinct you get, whether you're attracted to them or not, uh, the speech, the the experience, the interaction, well, uh, nothing beats that from the get go. And Joel, right? just just before I let you go, are you in a relationship now? Have you found someone yet? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Halloween uh, went on Bumble. Second time doing speed dating after the hour, you're matched with people who agree with you. Uh, there were five who matched me, but uh, there was one that uh, stood out to me, and we've been dating ever since. For the, 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 I've never gone past three dates with anybody. This girl uh, last night was, I think, our 12th date. So we've been together a bit more than a month now. It looks good. I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, <laughs> but so far, so good. So it's all better right. luck than I've had in a while. Well, Joel, that's great news. Thank you for calling in and sharing your thoughts on this. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joel, talking about dating 12 people at once. I am curious, Nicole Haley, what are your thoughts on that? Nicole is a dating coach in Vancouver. Is that is that sort of the norm as well with these dating apps? 
It can be absolutely where we're trying to see who is our best match. I recommend dating three people at a time. That way you're not investing too much into one person and not knowing, but you don't want to be overloaded where there's so much that you're not getting the chance to really get to know somebody. Everybody really doesn't want to do a whole bunch of first dates. They want to get beyond like Joel was saying, he wants to get past the third date. People want to go beyond just getting to meet somebody. They want to delve into that relationship aspect in that person. So when you have too many people, you can't really do that. It's quite time consuming, mm-hmm. but three people is pretty normal. You know, TikTok, there was this trend about why I quit dating. It featured a bunch of women. Mm. Uh, it, it's sort of been proliferating over time that the more and more women sharing stories about why they got off the apps or quit dating altogether. And one of them that I watched was basically a woman saying, look, I can't date more than one person at once. Mm. I mean, do you belong on the app if that's your your attitude? Because I think a lot of people might feel that way. I'm, I'm investing in this person for yeah. this time. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Um, I find that when we invest in somebody, we want to make sure they're investing at, uh, with us at that same pace. So if we are acting like we're in a relationship with them and we're seeing them consistently or wanting to, but we haven't had this exclusivity conversation, then they may still be dating other people. And so we have to be mindful of that just because we're going to show up like committed or loyal to see where this goes. That other person might not be on the same page. And that's where we can get confused, disappointed, feel led on. So I find that we really want to, if we're going to stop the apps and just see where this goes, we want to make sure that we're having that conversation with the other person to see if they're on the same page. Otherwise, yeah, it can lead to a lot of disappointment. Yeah, you may feel a certain way, but not necessarily the other person does, I suppose. That's that's that puts yeah. a wrench in your plans. Uh, let's Absolutely. go to Jay Murphy in Toronto. Jay, what are your thoughts on whether or not online apps have made dating better or worse? Well, I think they've made dating worse because it's really easy to then connect with someone who you don't have any mutual friends with or even common interests. And so that makes it very easy for them to lie. So I've had people lie about their age, marital status, occupation, where they went to school, uh, and all sorts of other things. And I think the app algorithms are potentially designed to keep you on there because that's their business model, right? So, And it's also made it more difficult to ask people out in person. It's almost like that's frowned upon because everyone's just meeting online. And when you say those various experiences of what they lied about, are those all different people? (laughs) Yes, they're all different people. I actually had so many of them that I put it into a comedy show, which I had in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this summer. Really? And and what kind of laughs does that elicit? I mean, it's at your own expense. I'm surprised you want to make, poke fun at that. Well, I figure, you know, if something bad happens and happens repeatedly, you can either cry about it or laugh about it. So I tried to, uh, you know, make it something to laugh about. It. And it, it got a, laugh, a bunch of laughs. Like, for example, I was talking about a guy who, you know, on our second date, I said, hey, you know, on the first date where you asked me my last name, like I gave you a fake one because I don't normally give that on the first date. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I have something to tell you, too. Like, I kind of gave you the wrong age. And <laughs> I was like, what? And it turned out his profile said 39, but then he said he was 40. And I was like, oh, just a year, like mm-hmm. must have been some app issue. No problem. He's like, oh, no problem. And then suddenly he was 43. 
And then the next day, he texted me to inform me that he was actually 45. I figure out the rate this guy's aging, he's probably going to be 60 within a week. <laughs> and, and so do you, do you continue existing and, and being active on the apps, or have you, have you called it? Is that the end? Well, I continue existing as a person, uh, and I am <laughs> still on the apps, but I don't have that much faith in them. So I have two strategies that I'm trying now. One is I signed up for an AI service called Keeper, where it's like AI-based matchmaking. Second is I've created a Google form and put it on my um, dating apps and stuff. Uh, and then the third... Wait, 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 wait. What's the Google form? How does that work? Well, you know, I'd heard about this from a couple other people. And when I mentioned it in my show, people thought, oh, that's really funny about the Google form. And I was like, well, no, it's real. It has like, you know, my online dating profile stats and then also just some information for folks to fill out. Like, you know, what do you like to do? And uh, and also some other stuff, you know, like, do you smoke or not smoke? Mm Because like, I'm a non-smoker and it sucks to go on three dates with someone and see them whip out a cigarette. So I'm trying to understand that stuff up front. So if you do think, because you said off the top, you think it makes it worse, the, the online apps. <laughs> Are you using it just for your comedy show now? Or do you, do you still want to find something on, no, on, through I, online dating? I still want to find something. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, a way to find someone in this society. I was prepared to give up dating entirely but my therapist said well you know if it doesn't work out or if you end up in yet another bad situation like at least it can be comedy so that's kind of where I'm at yeah good for you for turning it into something that is beneficial to your career right I think that's great (laughs) Jay thank you so much for sharing your thoughts I think that's uh, I I just love how you sort of turned it on its head and the google form more power to you right thank you so much Jay Oh, thanks for having me. Nicole, what do you think hearing that, that, you know, all these people, multiple people have been telling lies to, to Jay? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is mm-hmm. that pretty commonplace? I don't think it's uncommon. I think like she was saying, a lot of people withhold information. They're trying to beat the algorithms around age, around height. So I think when you're meeting up, it's kind of like, are you sure this is the person you said you are? How close are you to your profile? How close are you to what you've said? So I think that's the key of making sure when you meet that you really get a sense of this person. Um, We don't always want to go in thinking that people are lying to us because that will put us on guard. It'll make us suspicious. Our energy won't feel very fluid. Uh, but they can happen. Absolutely. But you just want to stay really curious and ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. OK, let's go to Arnold Villeneuve in Ottawa. Arnold, what are your thoughts on this conversation? Well, I come at it from a perspective of being married for 35 years and, um, you know, being widowed for three years and then starting to kind of look around. And uh, obviously, one of the easiest places to go is dating apps and I did it after about, I guess, almost two years, got on them, and I was on it for a month and then just got off of it. This is horrible. And, and, and men and women have a very different, I think most people need to realize men and women have a very different experience as a result of using dating apps. Mm-hmm. For men, it's completely depressing. You reach out to all these ladies that you uh, were, you know, interested in, attracted in, you get next to zero response. And for the ladies, they get just their inboxes stuffed to the rafters. <laughs> um, 
And so I got off it after a month. And after two and a half years later, or you know, another year later, I got back into it. And again, it was kind of the same experience. And I, I did go on some dates with some really nice people. And a couple of things your callers have said that I think are really important is get to the point really quickly, especially if you're older, mm-hmm. like I'm 61. You know, if you're, it's not like you're 20 and you're about to raise a, you know, start a family and buy a house and all that sort of stuff. Like, as you get older in life, uh, you know, like you're established, they're established, hopefully, and you want to get to the point really quickly. Like, mm-hmm. are you just looking to have dates, mm-hmm. you know, casual events? Ha- have or you... Are you looking to start a, a, you know, a real serious relationship? And did you get honest answers, do you think, from the people that you met? Uh, for the people, I I was fairly choosy, yeah, and it ended up mm-hmm. like, okay, we had four dates, we got to the point, and then that was it. You know, we move on because we realize we're heading in different directions. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things I found as well is that men and women write their dating profiles very differently. How um, so? And in, in my experience, men are, this is who I am, and, and women, and I know I'm going to take a hit for this, Women is, this is what I want. And I would suggest, and I actually wrote a a book about this, Mastering the Art of Online Dating, is that you want to put yourself out there as who you are and what you have to offer, and not necessarily all the things you want. So so women are doing it all wrong. Is that that what you're saying? Well, the majority of the online dating profiles I went through, that was my experience. Hmm. That was my personal experience. And it it uh, it was very much a detractor. I didn't, I didn't, you know, left, left, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I eventually got off the dating apps and I, I happened to meet the person I'm with right now on a Facebook group that had mm-hmm. social events. You went to social events. And one of the things I've realized and I would recommend to a lot of people is get out there, get out there, <laughs> go to social events, go talk to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, men and women like to have conversations. You know, you're not going to go to, do you want to go have sex right away? Like, you know, get real. You know, but a lot of men do that. And I'm a man and I recognize that. But, you know, have a conversation. Talk about some interesting things. And the next thing you know, things happen. Yeah. So forget the dating apps by and large. <laughs> yeah, they're interested if you want to get hooked up. But... The, 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 the final thing I want to close on is I'm, I'm in the secure IT security business. And one of the things that I noticed a lot is the social catfishing and how many women get preyed upon mm. by men. And I think it's disgusting. I think women should be very, very careful. Mm-hmm. Catfishing, just so, for those listeners who don't know exactly what that means, that's when someone pretends to be someone they're not, right? Well, and it's more than that. It's when they try to scam you. Right. You know, and the next thing you know, you get in. And you've seen this on the news many, many times. Women sending these guys $20,000, you know, trying to help them because they got sucked into this relationship where this guy promises he loves you, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And there's a lot of that. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of that. I mean, I actually looked up some of the women I was interested in. Uh, I, I took a, a, a screenshot of their picture. I went to a website. There's a number of them, social social catfishing. And you all of a sudden, they go through and they scan all the other websites out there. And you can see this person's picture and all the other websites are on. And you realize very quickly 
mm-hmm. if this person's picture is just used as a, as a scamming. Okay, Arnold, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this conversation there. What I'm hearing from you though is get off the apps; they're not worth it. And women, write your profiles differently if you are on the app. <laughs> Arnold, thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. I want to go quickly go to who Vince uh, to Vince, who's in Columbus, Ohio, originally from Alberta. Vince Ingalls, tell me your thoughts on the dating apps. What do you think? Hey there, I appreciate it. How are you? Um... I'm great. Tell us how you're doing, more importantly. Yeah, very good. Like most people are saying, like love-hate relationship with dating apps of some of the people I spoke to to get here um, on your side, um, that I don't date people I work with ever because that always is doom. Um, I don't uh, go out to the clubs and the bars and pick up chicks. And I'm, I'm 53 years old, right? I'm about ready to turn 54. But... Um, I, I don't know. Twice. I don't know. I don't know, Vince, if we still say pick up chicks. <laughs> well, that may I'll not be, be something we do 50, anymore. Dad <laughs> 54, you still do, eh? But, um, <laughs> but I, and, uh, I don't, I was seasoned the operator, and I was saying, I, mean, I don't hover over the vegetables at the local grocery store trying to pick up digits either. So um, the dating sites, the dating apps are very convenient, like one of the other callers were saying. Um, I, I'd rather be able to choose who I'm attracted to and things of that nature. And uh, the guy right before I got on um, from Ottawa, he was saying about uh, profiles and how people are dishonest and things of that nature. And yes, I, I that was my issue for the most part. I've been on, on and off dating sites for about 13 years. Um, so when I first got on, like I think about 2006, 16 or 17, I said, I'm going to find my person and I'm going to get on every day's site out there to find my person. And I found that women, and I'm not saying men don't do it either, probably pretty equal, but women lied to me about a lot of stuff, especially smoking and their age and how long they've been out of a relationship. So I was like, uh, you know, you, you, you get, kind of um so to answer the question to have online apps made dating better or worse it's kind of i don't know it, it's more convenient for sure mm. better or worse i don't know if there's an answer for that because <laughs> there's so many of them and and you know what what weighs out to like like lies and people that scam and catfish like you guys were talking about earlier and all that stuff who knows but you, there are really decent, nice people out there that are looking for a, a true relationship. And that was me and many of the people I've mm-hmm. met over the years were looking for that, too. Just because we were in a match doesn't mean we weren't looking for the same thing, right? Of so, course. Um, hey, Vince, have you have you found someone before I let you go? Have you have you found that person you yeah, were looking for? Yeah, I was on match back this summer and uh, I've been dating her since... September. So we're good. All right, Vince. Congratulations. I'm glad you picked up a chick. Good for you. Way to go. I did pick up a good chick. You're right. (laughs) right, Vince, thank you so much for that. That's Vince from Columbus, Ohio. I want to give a a last word to Nicole Haley here. She's our dating and relationship coach in Vancouver. Uh, What what do you think of what you've heard from, from the callers today? 
Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are saying that the online dating is one platform. And to remember, there's many ways to meet people outside of the app. Use this as one of the tools, but try to expand beyond that. Think of friends of friends or when you're out and about or at your favorite common interests you like so that you're not just using the apps. When we do that, it can get tiring. We can get discouraged by it. So we want to be able to keep some consistency, but also to expand into other ways of meeting people so that we're not only on this dating app that we're not so keen on. Yeah. So just mm-hmm. use it to augment what you're already doing or what you would have been doing in, in 1960. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. another piece <laughs> of how you can date in 2023. I agree. Yes. And I think if we approach it that way, we'll enjoy it a lot more. And then it allows us to meet different people, have different experiences, have different conversations. But when we think it's the only way to meet somebody, then yeah, it gets really discouraging and we get frustrated by it. But if we're able to expand and be like, hey, this is just one of the ways that I might meet somebody or it puts me in this energy of even wanting to meet people. Mm -hmm. You hear a lot of the callers that have met people outside of the dating apps. They got on the apps, but ended up meeting somebody they weren't expecting off the app, but they were on the app at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's great advice. Nicole, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Nicole Haley is a dating and relationship coach. We reached her in Vancouver. Now in our last half hour today, it's our AMA about neighborly disputes. It could be about loud noise coming from next door or a renovation creeping onto your side of the fence. We'll have a real estate lawyer here to answer your questions. What is your neighbor spat story? In the meantime, we still have lots of time in our main topic today about dating apps. Our question today, have online apps made dating better or worse? What's your dating app story? Uh, call us one 416 or text us at 226-758-8924. We do have some comments that have been coming to us in other ways on social media. B, who wishes to remain anonymous, sent us this email. I have equal parts fascination and disgust for these dating apps. Some of the design choices they have made are just evil. Delegating this part of the human experience into essentially a pay-to-win phone game full of microtransactions and money grabs targeting users in emotional states can be quite dehumanizing. The whole concept is bizarre, disgusting, and fascinating. And Trina Orchard via Aircheck from London, Ontario. Dating apps aren't about dating. They're about connecting with people as the algorithms allow. Many platforms market messages that make it seem like it's our fault as users when we fail at the apps. It's a rigged system that targets some of our deepest human emotions, fears, and desires. So as we hear all about your dating stories, we want to dig in deeper to how dating apps became such a phenomenon and the mechanics behind them. Catherine Gadudo is an assistant professor of media science at Boston University who studies online dating. And we've reached her in Boston, Massachusetts. Good day. How are you, Catherine? Great. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. You've done studies uh, where you ask participants to pull out their phone and show you who they're swiping right on. What, what have you learned about how people are using these apps? Oh, it's fascinating. I'm definitely never bored. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so some of my studies, I've actually had people who are using the apps uh, swipe for me and explain what it is in profiles that they're looking for, or if they decide to swipe left, like what wasn't in the profile. And so it's really interesting to see the kinds of things that are standing out to people. First and foremost, people are looking at photos. 
trying to see who the person is, if they're with certain other people, you know, friends, family, doing activities. Um, they also are looking for what is written in the biography. And I've been listening to some of the previous callers and, you know, hearing the things about whether they've been lied to or if someone, you know, was putting more about what they were looking for versus who they are. Uh, and that's something that a lot of my participants have also considered. So they'll say like, oh, I don't want to write a lot about myself, but I have to match with someone who actually wrote a lot about themselves or put a lot <laughs> of detail. Um, and so I think it's interesting. I guess what I'm hearing from your callers, very similar to my own studies, is there is kind of this tension between having this tool that is, you know, really exciting potentially, but also feels like, oh, I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> actually be able to find yeah. someone. You know, we are sort of 10 years into the swipe right uh, dating apps that exist. How have attitudes changed over the time of how, what people think of them now? It's been really interesting to watch this shift in uh, perception and almost appreciation of the apps. So when Tinder in particular first started, there was I think excitement and also hesitancy. And what I noticed in my earliest studies were that people were very hesitant to actually admit that they had met on a dating app. Uh, so I would interview people and they would talk about, you know, well, I met this person and we're, we've agreed on a story that we're going to tell friends and family because we don't want to admit that we were on Tinder. It feels just skeezy or something. It's not comfortable. Um, for a lot of people, the idea of trying to explain to their parents what a dating app was and why they would be on it was really uncomfortable. But what's been really interesting is over time, that stigma has really faded. And like you said, this has only been about 10 years. So that's a pretty like, that's a pretty stark shift and not a lot of time. And so in the last couple of years, as I've surveyed people and interviewed them, they're much more open about being on the apps. Uh, there's a lot of comfort with it now. There's a sense that even their parents do know what the apps are. And I think part of that is because, and we could absolutely talk about this, you know, there's kind of an app for everything. So why wouldn't there be an app for dating? What I'm seeing now, though, is this kind of different shift where it's not that there's a stigma to the online dating so much as kind of a disappointment in it. So now it feels like if you did meet your partner you're and you're going to talk about it, it's almost like I'm like the lucky one Yeah, uh, because people are feeling like they're, you know, they're not really finding what they want, particularly people who are looking for serious relationships. Yeah. And, and they may have been on now for a number of years, right? They're not, this isn't new and novel and fresh. It's tired and old for some of them. Exactly. And I think part of that too, it's not just that like, okay, I've been on this one app for a long time, but instead, you know, a lot of people are on a minimum of three or four. So they're on a bunch of different platforms still having that same experience. And one thing I think I've seen at least is, you know, a lot of the apps are so similar in what they offer. So many of them are swipe based. Um, the profile setups are very similar. And so even something like Bumble, which a couple of your callers have mentioned, the promise of Bumble was all about women being able to initiate the conversation. So women had to message first. But ultimately, a lot of the actual technological features are pretty much the same as Tinder with that one change. And so for a lot of online daters, they're using these different apps and maybe they have a, one or two things that's different. But for the most part, the experience isn't changing that drastically. I also think that's why we've seen such a growth for Hinge specifically, um, because Hinge has gotten away from more of that swiping. And so now people are like, okay, if I go to Hinge, I actually might be able to really connect with someone. So for listeners who don't know, what's the difference with Hinge? 
Great. So Hinge, like I said, it's they have moved away from uh, having people swipe on each other. So instead, when you see a profile, you can actually um, comment on someone's images. Uh, there are prompts that Hinge has created. And so you can put in a certain response to a question, and then other people can also respond. So it's taken some of that swiping away so that you're able to start communicating without going through that swipe and that gamification. Um, and I think, again, listening to some of those callers, I think the gamification is what really starts to bother people. Um, because even though people feel like they should be looking at profiles, they should be really thinking about this other person, it's really easy to just keep swiping through. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to hold you there for now and bring in a caller. We may not have time to get all of this caller's thought uh, before we say goodbye to our TV friends. But Lynn Ray and Newmarket, uh, tell me what your thoughts are on, you have about a minute, Lynn, to tell us what you think. Are, are the apps making it better or worse dating? Um, I have to be honest, I haven't been on an app in a few years, but I went on them 2000, when internet dating was just starting, it was very easy to meet people for coffee. They always wanted more. Um, and I guess um, when I have been on them in the last five or six years, there's too many scammers and married men to work through. I'm not going to pay money to sit and waste my time talking to married men and scammers. How did you find out they were married men and scammers? How did you make that de decision well, that that's what was happening? Well, just like one of your guests said, they ask for money. They don't want to talk on the phone. You can't meet in person. They're very vague about what, oh, they're in mining or the military. That's a big one. <laughs> or, or they're church-going, God-fearing people. Right. Like I said, I told this to my doctor once, and she said, yep, you've covered them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then that was out for you. That was it. You were like, okay, I've, well, I've seen everyone. Well, a married man cured me. I fell hard and fast for him, and I believe I didn't believe he was married. He, you know, he presented himself as a single person, but I could never go to his place. And that was back in two thousand and eight. So I've been on them a little bit since then, not a lot. I used to go to singles dances. Even there, there was married men, and. Anywhere that advertises single, you're going to find predators and married men. So when you say a married man cured you, it, he cured you from being on the apps. That's right, because I, I had to protect myself. I couldn't trust anybody anymore at that point. Mm -hmm. Catherine, just uh, thank you so much, Lynn Ray, for that. I appreciate it. I hope things are going better for you. But I just, Catherine, before we let our TV viewers go, what are your thoughts when you hear Lynn Ray's conversation? Oh my gosh, I so many people do have that experience with scammers. And again, with any technology that you're using, you should be careful. And you should be thinking about, you know, if I'm not hearing from this person, and you know, like she said, you know, he didn't want to talk on the phone. So if I'm not hearing from them in the ways that I've asked, first of all, that's a relationship that's not going to work anyway. Um, but then also, if you're not meeting in person, right, there are just red flags that you should absolutely look for. Yeah. Okay, Catherine, stick around. We're going to say goodbye now to our TV viewers on CBC News Network. And as we continue today's show live on CBC Radio and CBC Gem, this is a juicy one. Rosemary Barton Live is next on CBC News Network. Stick around. I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. 
You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you are listening to Hour 2 of Cross Country Checkup live on CBC Radio. We have roughly 30 minutes left in our main topic, but coming up in our Ask Me Anything segment, have you ever had a disagreement with your neighbour? What about an impasse with your neighbour that went to court. Today, it's our Ask Me Anything, the Neighbourly Dispute Edition. You can start calling now with your stories and questions. Call us at one 416 and you can text us too. The number is 226-758-8924. But first, I want to go back uh, to Catherine to talk more about uh, online dating. And I am curious, we talked about how people are, though they're not as shy to say that they're using the apps, uh, there is some disillusionment with how successful they might be on the app. But, but I, I, I understand there's some interesting work you've been doing on, on who is the most disillusioned. And young people actually are those yes. people who are like, get me out of here, I'm done with this. Whereas the older folks are, are still hopeful. Yes, it's it's been really interesting to watch, kind of like we were talking about with the shift in stigma, there's also been a shift in who's actually using the apps and who's feeling excited about them. And I think you've heard some of that from some of the callers that you've had today. So some of my recent work looked at how people felt about the apps. And what I specifically was interested in was the perception that you could get on an app and find your perfect person. You could actually find a really good partner. So surveyed about a thousand people trying to see just Basically, if they could find a partner and if they thought that there were scammers, um, if there was AI in the apps, things like that. And of all things, really young people were the ones who were uh, very hesitant about the apps. They felt like they probably wouldn't find a good partner or maybe they would, but it might not work out. Whereas the older someone was, the more optimistic they were about the dating apps. Um, And Again, so it's a lot of older adults who are often trying them for the first time um, if they've gone through a divorce or if they've been widowed. So there are people who have already been in relationships and now have this new tool to try that feels really promising. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also interesting because individuals who were married, so again, surveyed a thousand people, had all kinds of respondents, but People who were married also actually thought that the apps um, had a lot of promise, which I think is interesting because these are people who are probably never going to use the apps again, or they might not for a really long time. Um, But so they're thinking about it right from this kind of like really optimistic perspective. Uh, So married people and particularly older adults uh, were the most excited, felt like there was the most potential for finding a good partner on a dating app. I'm talking to Catherine Caduto, an assistant professor of media science at Boston University. She studies online dating. I, I am curious that you've, you've mentioned it a few times now, AI and how this is sort of finding its way into these online apps. And I know the algorithms, we talk about that as well, but just tell me a little bit more about how sophisticated these have all become. Oh, it's a great question. And I think something that people are somewhat aware of, but it's easy to, you know, it's so in the background of the apps themselves. So first and foremost, again, we talked about the algorithm, different of your callers and guests have mentioned the algorithm, but the algorithms are consistently getting more sophisticated. And what they're trying to do, there's a balance for the apps themselves, right? Because on the one hand, dating apps, they want you to match with someone, they want you to be meeting people, but they also want you to stay on the app, (laughs) right? Like these are still things that they need to have users, they need to be making money. So the algorithms are getting really sophisticated in trying to show you people who 
you want to match with, right? That you would enjoy talking to, but you're also going to get people that maybe aren't a great match, but that's keeping you on the app. The other way that AI is really starting to be utilized in this space is having, um, you know, things like chatbots or things that can help people uh, write messages, craft messages. Um, so trying to you know figure out like what an opening line is or maybe what to put in that biography when you're trying to figure out how to talk about yourself. Uh, and that's something that people are more than the algorithm. People are really thinking about whether they're chatting with an AI. Uh, and so that was something else I saw in that same study is that pretty much everyone, regardless of age, uh, perceived that AI was in the apps in some way, most of them thinking about it in terms of chatbots. Hmm. I want to go to Liz Golder in Harbor Grace, Newfoundland. Liz, I know you have a story about a friend using a dating app. T- tell me about that. Okay, I um, I want to refer to one of your callers there, Mr. Arnold Villeneuve from Ottawa. He happened to mention, he said, uh, men say what they what they want. No, I'm sorry. Men say what they are, who they are, and mm-hmm. women say what they want. Right. So this this brought up a story that we had. One of our friends was um, uh, on the dating apps and uh, good looking guy, well-educated, good job, nice personality. And he went on and it was weeks had gone by and he not, he wasn't getting anybody, you know, contacting him. So then he went into work one day and he said to his buddies, you know, I don't know why I'm not getting any any um, contact. And someone said, well, what? let me see your picture you're using. Just, you know, a picture, normal picture of a guy. Mm-hmm. And he suggested, put on your uh, pilot uniform and uh, see what happens. And as soon as he changed his picture with his uniform on, he started getting, he was overwhelmed with how many women <laughs> were contacting him. <laughs> really? And so, did, did, did he have success? Did he find someone? Well, he ended up finding a girl, but not on the apps. <laughs> didn't need he, it in uh, the end. No, he didn't need it in the end. He, uh, We knew he wouldn't because he's you know, a great guy. But that goes to show you that the old story, a man in the uniform, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Liz, that's a that's a great story. I, I, I'm curious yeah. to hear uh, who else we find in the successes. Thank you for calling, Liz. <laughs> okay, can I share one more quick thing? Uh, sure you can. Same Mr. Villanova, he said about people should, uh, it's better off going out and meeting people socially in mm-hmm. face-to-face. And um, I was telling your girl there that uh, over 30 years ago, I helped a couple in Ottawa start up a um, singles group. Anything over 40, they would meet up once a month for a brunch at a restaurant. So you're out in public, right? Everybody's around. So we started doing that and it became a great success. People were coming to brunch, meeting people. And uh, without even trying, I ended up meeting uh, one fellow who I from Newfoundland, <laughs> who I thought was pretty nice. Anyway, we uh, we end up dating, and uh, we've been together now twenty nine years. Well, there you go. Good for you. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So that's why I'm, I'm in Newfoundland now. <laughs> Not Newfoundland for life. It sounds like. Yeah, I think so now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Liz, thank you so much. I want to go to another caller now, Anne Bookman Hamilton. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your thoughts on whether or not online dating has made dating more generally better or worse. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm hearing kind of, of quite a few negative stories, and I want to give a push for the positive side. Um, I got uh, separated after 32 years of marriage, and I'm now 61, and I went on the apps. Um, found it quite interesting, met 20 guys, and then finally met a fabulous guy. We've been together over two years. I met him on Tinder, 
And uh, he was on Tinder as well for quite a while. And together, we started becoming dating coaches and we're Canada's only dating coaches for women over 50. And I think, you know, the apps are amazing for people over 50. A lot of people are lonely. They want to meet someone. And a lot of the women that we have in our workshops, they haven't had a date. You know, they're either widowed or they're divorced after many years. They haven't had a date in 30 years. So there's a lot of intimidation about going on the apps. And, you know, the technology is only as good as the strategies you use to to make it work for you. What, um, what, it, what you is know? a strategy? What well, do you tell women over 50? Well, we tell them have an amazing bio. This goes for men, too. Have a p- professional photos. Um, smile. Have a cleverly written bio. We help people do this. You know, there's a few, only a few things, and your callers have already talked about it, your expert. You know, once you have a few strategies to avoid scammers and creeps, you can do it with confidence. Never date someone who doesn't, never, you know, converse with someone who doesn't want to meet you within a week or so. Never connect with someone who lives more than an hour away from you. Why are they contacting you? If they're too good looking, do a reverse search on their photo. They're probably fake. If they're wearing a cap and sunglasses, they're probably married. You know, once you learn a few strategies, um, and I think there's really only a few bad apples. There's so many great older people who want to meet someone, and the apps have opened up a whole new world. And and, and, and what's your, I'm curious, what's your success rate? Do you keep track of the people you've coached and how how they've made out? Yeah, so we're at chapter2dating.com, if I can say that, chapter2TWO. <laughs> We've ta- had about 150 women in our workshops, and many of them approach dating with a lot more confidence. A lot of them have met people. Um, a lot of us just need a guiding hand, you know, especially when it's something brand new. And in the old days, if you were women over 50, 25 years ago, you'd be relying on your relatives to introduce you to someone. How many eligible, great middle-aged men do you know who are available? You have to go looking for them. Mm. And so I think the apps are fantastic and they certainly work for me. Well, Anne, I like hearing this side of it. Anne Bookma, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I'm here live with Catherine Caduto. She's our assistant professor or media on media science at Boston University who studies online dating us. She's been joining. Uh, what's your dating app story? Call us at one 416 or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Now, the last time Checkup touched on the topic of online dating, we spoke to Colin Factor, who shared the types of messages he receives as a gay Filipino man on these apps. So have a listen to this. It's really difficult because you come at it from a perspective where you are a minority. And sometimes you would hear things where people would be like, oh, you're really attractive for an Asian guy. And I remember when I was younger, when I was about 21, when I was first coming to terms with my sexuality and starting to date, that was a compliment in my head. But upon reflection, obviously now I am almost embarrassed And um, if I were to hear that now, obviously I would find it extremely offensive because that is just layered with so much um, underlying racism. Catherine, do we know about how race or other types of discrimination sort of play into a a user's experience of the apps? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lots of research has been done on this. I've looked at this in my own work. It's a very well-studied area. Um, and I think your that clip you just played is very emblematic of what a lot of minorities experience on dating apps. Uh, so it's hard. I think it's interesting that you're talking about this. You know, have they made dating worse or not? Um, because in some ways, for some minority groups, dating apps are great because they allow people to uh, meet more kinds of people. You know, kind of broaden their horizons. But then the flip side is that you get comments like what your that clip just said, where 
there's a still a very racial component to a lot of what people are looking for. There's also a lot of research to suggest that people look for people who are just like them. Um, so despite the fact that there are actually more kinds of people on the apps that you don't necessarily have to meet someone from, you know, your existing friend group or from your family, church group, you know, whatever, um, the trade-off is that a lot of people are still ultimately matching with um, same race individuals. So a white person tends to still end up matching with a white person, uh, so on and so forth. The other interesting aspect of this is that when individuals do start a mixed race relationship from dating apps, they often have a difficult time getting the relationship to kind of assimilate um, with that existing friend group, family, so on, because so many relationships have historically started, again, because you were introduced by someone that you both knew. And now you're starting with what we would call in the research zero history, right? So there's no one else around that really knows the two of you mm -hmm. separately. So now together, right, you're this new entity. And so it becomes harder, um, particularly in the mixed race setting, for um, individuals to feel like they're being supported by those outside of the relationship. Um, and that's something I don't know that we've seen a lot of the apps actually work really hard to fix yet. Um, we also know that there's a lot of bias in AI. Um, AI tends to favor white people for lots of different reasons. Um, and so that also is almost certainly influencing who is showing up when someone is swiping. Hmm. Uh, so it sounds as though the algorithms, though they may seem sophisticated and helpful, they, they are deeply problematic too. <clears throat> Absolutely. And that's part of it being still a relatively new technology. And when you look at who is making a lot of that technology and how that technology is trained, right? Because one of the things that's happening when you upload your photos to Tinder, Bumble, but also Instagram, Facebook, any platform, that algorithm is learning your face. It's learning those different features. So we're always training the technology around us, but it has to start somewhere. And it often starts with, it often starts with white men who created these things. Um, and that absolutely influences the kinds of imagery that they're going to train it on and then how that leads to who's going to see who. Um, so again, some of this is not to say it's all intentionally biased, but that's how it learns. Um, and again, that's true for dating apps, but it's also true for things like TikTok uh, and the algorithm that is you know, programming the videos that you're seeing on your For You page. Mm -hmm. I am curious, are people using AI to write their profiles or message people? Is that happening already at this point? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and that's something that has been kind of percolating for a while. I feel like um, this started relatively early on. There were quite a few people in Silicon Valley trying to figure out how to make an app that could write messages for people. Uh, and then in the last year with chat GPT taking off, totally, totally changes the game. So that's something that a lot of people are using. It's easy for someone interested in online dating to use ChatGPT. Um, and so definitely seeing a lot more of that just in the last year. Hmm. Okay, let's go to Trish Brunel in Barrie, Ontario. You met your husband through an app. Tell us about that, Trish. Hi, I did meet my husband through an app. And um, I would say overall, I think that apps could make dating better. I just think that people probably have to spend a bit more time writing in their profile. And so what I did, I was very careful with the wording. And my girlfriend was dating at the same time. And she um, is a pretty fun person. So she had spontaneous all through her profile, that word. And I learned quickly that that means I will have sex with you today. <laughs> so okay. That's, I did that's not code. Put that in mind. <laughs> that's code for that, I think. So I didn't have that in mind. 
And uh, I only went on dates with two men, um, and the second was my husband. And when we changed her profile and took out some of the wording, she also met her husband online. So I think we did pretty well. And then the other thing I think is I keep hearing people talking about meeting people who don't look like their picture. So I made sure that the picture I had up was a kind of a terrible picture of myself um, so that when I met the person, they would get a surprise in the other direction. And I think most people do it the opposite to that. And and so that was 11 years ago. And you only dated one other guy before you found your husband? Yes. Um, You're an anomaly, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I chatted with a few others online, like on the telephone, but... I only met one other person in person, and actually, there's. I'll tell a quick funny story there. He had three kids with three different women and had custody of all of them. Um, and so when I, I went on a couple of dates with him, and then I said, you know, I don't think this is going to work out. And his response was, oh, I was hoping to have you move in here and help me raise these kids. So <laughs> I mean, you can appreciate pretty... his honesty, maybe. <laughs> sure. I figured that was a pretty good red flag, though. Yeah, I would say. Well, Trish, uh, congratulations on finding uh, true love. Thank you. That's Trish Brunel. I want to read uh, Callan Jacks reached out via text. Being a member of the LGBTQ plus community, dating apps have made it a lot easier to find partners. It can be extremely hard to find other queer folks naturally in public because you don't want to assume someone's sexuality and be rejected on the spot. Dating apps take that possibility out of the picture. You know you are connecting with someone else who is actually queer. Uh, Ken Schnell reached out via text as well. I stopped you Using data apps after only a few weeks, I found that most of the women I was connecting with were looking to fast track getting married and or father finding a father figure for their kids. And we certainly just heard that with the last caller. So uh, there you go. I want to go back to uh, Catherine to hear a little bit more about her thoughts on on where she thinks the apps might go now. I mean, they've been it's only been 10 years and we've certainly seen a lot of changes in that time. Where, Where are they heading? Great question. And I think a great question right now at this time point, because if you look at how the apps overall have done this year, um, most of them are kind of leveling off when you look at their revenue. In fact, some of them are seeing drops. So we're clearly seeing that users are not happy (laughs) with the experience that they're having. And so the apps are going to have to start to think about what comes next. And I think the first probably biggest step is going to be um, continuing to refine that AI, trying to figure out what is the right algorithm for the given app that you know someone's on, someone's using. Um, so I think that's going to be a really big thing. I think another thing that the apps are going to have to start encouraging is, and again, something that a lot of your callers have mentioned, is they really need to encourage people to start meeting each other offline and to do so sooner. Um, So if someone is actually on the app for a relationship, whether that's a serious relationship or a more casual one, um, lots of research shows that the sooner they meet, the happier they tend to be. Um, So when people stay online too long, they start to make up kind of their ideal person or they start to give um, that match characteristics that maybe they don't have. And so The apps, I think part of why people are then failing is because the apps, like I said earlier, are trying to keep people on them when really they need to start doing things to encourage moving off the platform. Um, And so I think that's kind of where we're headed with the future of these apps. Um, And I think it's going to be really interesting, especially as the algorithms themselves become more refined, because I think it's just what's going to have to happen, especially given that people are so aware of the algorithms now. So there is this perception that, there's kind of like a puppet master who's controlling 
who you're seeing. And right, we've heard a lot of people say that's not something that they like, and it feels very uncomfortable. I also think the awareness of the algorithms is what's going to lead people to almost experiencing that stigma from dating again, because now, like I said, you know, starts off and it's stigmatized, people got more comfortable with it. But now with the really high awareness of the actual technology, I think people are becoming kind of uncomfortable again and don't want to necessarily admit that, well, I just got lucky with this Mm -hmm. algorithm. And so as someone who's been studying this, I want to put the question to you. Do you think dating (laughs) has gotten better or worse because of these apps? I, I knew I was going to get the question. You're I was going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have really mixed thoughts on this um, because I think it's really easy to think about the negatives. And I think, right, like it doesn't feel organic compared to other ways of meeting. And so, and right, people have bad experiences. You know, we've talked about catfishing. We've heard a lot about scammers. And so I do think it's easy to think about these negatives that maybe wouldn't happen in other kinds of dating scenarios. But on the other hand, I do think it's a great tool for people who are looking for someone. And I think it's, you know, I don't want to ever discredit that. And so I never say, I never come down hard on like dating apps are really bad because I just don't think that's, um, I don't think that's true. I think so much of it ultimately depends on what someone is looking for. I think people who are using dating apps really need to be honest about Am I looking for a long-term relationship? Am I looking for a casual hookup? Because all of those things are going to influence what the rest of that experience actually looks like. I do think another component of this that could be good or bad, depending on the person, is you know, dating apps have really made us kind of look inward when we're creating profiles for ourselves, right? So if you're out at a bar, for instance, and you decide to talk to someone, you might not really be thinking about you know, everything that you would want to tell them in that initial meeting. Whereas the dating app profile really requires you to distill yourself down into a couple of photos, you know, a couple of sentences. You know, we've talked about, you know, the importance of like a catchy um, bio. And so I think that's kind of interesting and could be good, again, because that inward reflection makes you think about what is it I'm looking for, right? What am I, who am I, what am I putting out there? Mm -hmm. But then I also think the flip of that is that when you are looking at other people's profiles, you don't always put that same amount of time and effort in. Um, And so I think there's, I think it's part of why I study this because I think so much of it is so complex. And I think the tensions that arise for users are really interesting. Um, But I would say like, (laughs) to answer the question overall, I would say, I think they're overall probably good if you use them wisely, right. you know, if you have a strategy, like some of our callers have talked about, yeah. you know, if you're being intentional, purposeful, um, and honest about what it is you want and who you are. Okay, let's get back to the phone lines. We have a couple of uh, lo- queued up here. Nick Hale from Montreal. Nick, tell us your thoughts on all of this, better or worse? Well, I do think that there's a place for dating apps, but I also think it removes a little bit of the real connection that we can have with people. Um, like it was said, there's a level of honesty that absolutely needs to be put out there. And that's something that is seriously lacking on most of these apps. Um, and it's very hard to navigate it. How, how have you done? Tell us a little bit about your experiences then. Well, I've really just gone by allowing myself to be more of an open book. I really put myself out there and this is my true, true self. Um, If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But it's also, it depends on the app. Tinder is something that is very visual and objectifying and 
it's also something that is a serious struggle for young men because you can be as confident as you want to be, but you're putting yourself into such a large pool that it can sometimes feel dehumanizing. Whereas there are other apps like Hinge where you have a lot more of a personal basis to communicate with people. You have to actually talk more about oh, what your interests are and how another person can interact with you, which is an advantage there. Mm-hmm. And have you, have you found someone? Have you, have you gone on to have good conversations, good dates? I, I've been on a roller coaster of things. I've been on apps for about four years now, and there's a whole wide range of things that can be experienced on apps. You can meet fascinating people. You can get into relationships that can be very dicey, and you can also meet genuinely amazing people to be around. And that's one of the things that I've absolutely enjoyed recently. I actually got out of a relationship that was truly the best one I've been in. And it was just realizing that we were two very different people and we had to go in different directions for the time being. Um, And that didn't limit the positivity of that relationship, which I know I wouldn't have been able to experience Hmm. if it weren't for the apps. All right. Let's end on that note, Nick. It's a a good way to look at it. Thank you for this. Yeah. Thanks. Let's go now to Con, who's on the line. Con Oren from Toronto. Con, tell us your thoughts on all of this. Has it been a a good experience for you? Yes. I mean, I I think it has. Uh, We've been married for 17 years now. And, um, you know, I, I, been looking for the right person for a long, long time. And sorry, how and did you meet your How did you meet your spouse of seventeen years? Well, we we actually met via a website, um, and she happened to be in London, England. Uh, she had made it very clear that she only wanted to date uh, someone in the UK. Uh, but I have to say, I mean, the, the, as your as your speaker mentioned earlier, the thing about online dating is this this particular website had a lot of really detailed questions uh, the sort of questions that went beyond hobbies uh books they'd like to read um you know things that they do in their free time which aren't hobbies and her answers were so thoughtful and detailed and obviously resonated with the sort of things that i thought would be interesting we're actually quite different people um but given given the fact that it resonated with me, I felt like, okay, well, you know what, it can't hurt to reach out. And you've got to remember, 17 years ago, it would have been hard, uh, but we had Skype. So we, used, we spoke via Skype every day. Uh, we spoke on the phone every day. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to financially be able to go see her every month. And the whole experience just proved to me that, you know, if, if, I, was, if I was willing to go um, and see her and speak to her and think of her every day, it, you know, there was something there. Hmm. And it's, it's worked out by the sounds of it. Yes, it's definitely worked out. And, and the other thing about this, uh, this experience, again, was, you know, I mean, how else would I have ever met her? Uh, it just it just wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I'm curious it, is is she listening to you tell, talk about her in this this beautiful way right now? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think she's <laughs> she's uh, she's always pretty busy right now, but she's busy at home. Okay. Well, Con, yeah. I, I, congratulations. It's nice to hear a, a nice story here. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate you calling in. 
Thank you for uh, thank you for listening to me. I want to go now and give the last word on this topic to Catherine Caduto, an assistant professor of media science at Boston University. I mean, when you hear these conversations of people who sort of curate their own way of 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 making it work for them, and they have their own sort of rules, and you know, I'm going to reach out because they seem fascinating. I mean, is there a way to do it despite all the red flags and despite the catfishing, the ghosting, all of that? Is there a way to make it work for you? Absolutely. And I think like I've loved listening to some of the different strategies that your callers have had. And I think that is the way to do it. It starts with, like I said, being honest about who you are and what you're looking for. But then there are ways to make that app use work. The other component of this is not overusing them. So I like to recommend that people, you know, maybe you have like a set time when you swipe or maybe you swipe with friends, but not, you know, constantly swiping all day. So, you know, again, having that intentional time, um, making sure you're doing that with purpose, whatever it is you're looking for, um, because I think part of the horror stories come from people who spend a lot of time on the apps and aren't really thinking about what it is they're trying to get out of them. But I think it's great when people can come up with their own strategies, because we do that with all of the technology that we have, right? We think about who our audiences are on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, on all these different platforms. And so treating dating like that, I think makes a lot of sense where you're trying to, you know, think about who's going to be on there, what it is that you're going to get out of it, what it is you're putting out there. And so I think for people who have been listening today, I think taking some of the strategies that different callers have talked about, some of them have been really good. And I would absolutely encourage figuring out for you as an individual, what it is that's going to work best for you. Um, And I guess maybe that's the other thing, right, is there is no like one size fits all when it comes to dating, not even with (laughs) dating apps. Yeah. Is there one piece of advice that you would uh, people who are listening who maybe are in that disillusioned group who have thought, you know, this is this is it. I'm done. I'm not going back. Is there is there something you would say to them or or is it is, you know, there's no reason to go back if it's not working for you? I think I think it could go either way. I think, you know, if someone's thinking about getting back on them, maybe just start with one, you know, maybe start with Hinge because we've heard a lot of good things about that. But I also would say if you're feeling burned out on it, there's no reason to jump right back on. Um, in fact, it can be really healthy to take a break from technology and to not have, you know, every part of your life on your phone. Um, and so I think, you know, knowing that there's truly an app for everything, maybe dating doesn't need to be something that you're also, you know, resorting to your small phone screen uh, to help you with. Again, I think it's all about the individual person and being honest about what's going to work for you, what's comfortable for you. Love it. Okay, Catherine uh, Caduto, thank you for joining us. Uh, Fascinating. Thank you for this. Thank you. Catherine Caduto is an assistant professor of media science at Boston University who studies online dating, and we reached her in Boston, Massachusetts. Now it's time for Ask Me Anything, the Neighborly Dispute Edition. sometimes see situations where the noise levels between one neighbor and another neighbor causes them to to have a conflict. There's no real escape. You exit your front door and they might be exiting their front door and that's just so so much closer when you're in a condo. Someone builds a fence where you weren't aware of, they didn't communicate or maybe they did and didn't agree with it and they went ahead. 
Well, here's an example of a battle between neighbours that has gone all the way to the B.C. Supreme Court. And you may have read about it on cbc.ca. A woman in British Columbia is suing another woman over the installation of a privacy divider on part of a shared deck. This is in a condo building. And the issue is that the divider blocks the view of the ocean for one of the neighbours. It's an example of how these battles between neighbours can escalate. And today we are looking for your story and your questions. Maybe you're in the middle of a dispute right now. It might be a fence or a driveway or pot smoke wafting from next door. Are you in a spat with your neighbor? What questions do you have about it? We're joined now by Bob Aaron. He's a real estate lawyer with the firm Aaron & Aaron in Toronto. He's also a columnist for the Toronto Star. He won't be able to give you specific legal advice, but he can give us some broad guidelines about the stories we're about to hear, and you can ask him anything. Call us at one trip. 888-416-8333 or text us at 226-758-8924. And Bob is here in our Toronto studio. Hello, Bob. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So when you hear this story about a shared condo balcony, someone puts up a divider, the other person is angry because they can no longer see their beautiful view. I mean, what are the general things you're thinking about when you hear that? Well, some people collect stamps. I collect stories about nasty neighbors. <laughs> this is this is one of them. I've written about it. I've lectured about it. Um, people will spend inordinate amounts of money and craft crazy, crazy court cases and, and legal bases for these cases. And eventually they'll just go away or they'll cost somebody a lot of money not to prove anything or to prove nothing. And these things happen. This this particular one in BC is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of other elements that we're not going to have time to get into right now. But but on the face of it, you know, a, a neighborhood spat. I've heard you talk about in the, that if if neighbors live next to each other, there is inevitably at some point along the way in some relationships, a spat is going to happen in a condo building, for instance. Well, in this one. The condo declaration or bylaws or rules event initially set up a divider between these two units and somebody removed it and I guess the condo corporation or one of the owners decided to put it back where it's supposed to be. And if the condo rules say that's where it's supposed to be, then that's where it's supposed to be and suing each other for this is, is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. It, it, so I'm here live with Bob Aaron. Uh, he's a real estate store uh, lawyer in and columnist with the Toronto Star. Uh, and uh, in a few minutes, we'll go to the phone lines, take your calls. It's Ask Me Anything, the Neighborly Dispute Edition. So give us a call, one 416 Now, if you are having a problem with a neighbor uh, and you feel as though they're doing something that infringes on whatever you think they're infringing on, what, what do you suggest that person does first? The best thing to do is communicate. You communicate directly. You communicate with lawyers' letters. Uh, if it goes farther, you can mediate. But going to court is a very, very expensive uh, procedure here in Canada. And paying lawyers to do things like that uh, is just crazy. You can you can spend fifty seventy five thousand dollars on a court case and get nowhere. And then if you lose, you got to pay part of the costs of the other side. So I guess talking, mediating, trying to figure it out. But some people will spend just crazy amounts of money on principle, and it just 
doesn't make sense. Sometimes. I mean, if you've talked and it's not going anywhere, at what point do you think, okay, now, now I do have to do something? Well, then you got to go to a lawyer and then you have to do a cost benefit analysis. The lawyer will say, okay, here's your chances of winning. Here's your chances of losing. And here's what it's going to cost you, win or lose. And then you have to decide whether putting up that kind of money, if the lawyer asks for a ten dollars or $20,000 retainer with no guarantees, you have to decide how seriously you're worried about your neighbor's behavior. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common disputes? What are they over usually? Oh, it's much more fun to talk about uncommon disputes. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, are there? Well, one of my favorites, there was a case in, uh, in Britain in, in uh, I guess, 20, 2005, 2008, something like that, where the, the kid in the house played his bagpipes all the time. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. And there's something in Britain called an antisocial behavior order. So uh, you get a threat that from the community, that if you continue to play your bagpipes, you'll get an antisocial behavior order, and uh, they threatened to do it, and he stopped playing his bagpipes. Okay. But that story was on the CBC some years ago. Okay. I want to go to the phone lines because they are starting to stack up here, people with some questions for you. Uh, Linda Durkaz in Sudbury has a question. Linda, what is your, what is your thoughts on this? Well, um, I've lived here for 45 years, and we had an elderly neighbor who passed away. No issues. We helped each other. The city allowed a landlord to purchase the property and make a two-unit apartment, first of all, without a, a building permit. Well, when we questioned that, that started the problems with the landlord. He was quite mad, and he moved tenants in there. Um, Most of them are drug addicts. We went to the city because they use our property as their property. That's when we had shrubs, shrubs that my father dug out from Manitoulin Island by hand, beautiful shrubs. They ruined the shrubs coming in and out, allowing their animals off the leash, which there's a leash bylaw here. And it was a nightmare for us. They built um, fires, like little fires at nighttime. They sit there with two-by-fours under our shrub, under their property, alcohol bottles, marijuana butts in our yard. They block our driveway. We have to go and ask them to, could you let us out? We went to the city numerous oodles of time and said, could you help here? You allowed this. Can you help us? It's all fallen on deaf ears. Bylaw will show up oddly and say, well, we need to see it. Oh, well, we spoke with that person. Well, that person only lived there for three years. Now there's another person that we have to educate Mm. that the driveway is our driveway. It's not their property. They don't rent there. They, like at our property, they rent over there. Yeah, that Lin- house number. Linda, it certainly sounds like something you've been dealing with and a headache. I- I'm curious, Bob, when you hear this story, I think it's not an uncommon one, but, but what do you think when you hear it? Sometimes you have to pressure the municipal people to enforce the bylaws. If the place was built without a permit, the city should be held accountable for uh, unwinding what was done illegally or for making sure it was done properly with permits and according to to the building code. But uh, disputes about uh, parking and driveways, there's tons of these, all kinds of them. It keeps me busy, frankly. I'm sure Linda's wondering how does she, as you say, pressure municipal officials to do something? Well, you just keep going up the ladder. You go to your local councillor or a member, and if that doesn't work, you go to... uh, you go to the mayor or the the head the head person at the, at the city, um, then you go to the CBC. 
Yeah. But Linda, have you gone back and forth? Have you tried many times? Um, I did go to the city. Um, Actually, a city from the building department, I presume, showed up here. And he said, well, we won't authorize this because there's no decent parking. Well, all of a sudden it was authorized. And I said, well, what about the building permit? And they said, well, he fell back on this senior that used to live there. That was like three, four years prior to that. He got a building permit to put like a an eight by eight or something under the, 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 the floor because the house was kind of tilting. That's the building permit the guy got. So my counselor told me, well, that's what this guy went on. But that was like four years later. And I said, but I think there's only a two year or something with the building permit. I said, but that isn't what he did. He renovated the whole building. He got this in, no building permit. My counselor said about six months later, he says, oh, we have no record that he did anything. If I can get a hold of people that used to live there years ago and say, no, that upstairs was not an apartment, then the city Mm -hmm. will go after it. Well, you know, we're 70. The people that owned the house before that, they're dead and gone. I don't know who it is. The city would know that. They would have that. But no, Linda, I just think they're harboring this guy. Linda, I'm going to have to let you go soon, but I am curious. What what are your next steps? I mean, is there any, it doesn't sound like you're getting anywhere. Do you you know what you'll do? No, we're not getting anywhere. Like they block our driveway and we have to go to them. We have to go to bylaw and bylaw says they need to see it. Hmm. And like when they're not here, how can you see something? Bob, what's your advice for Linda then? Sometimes (laughs) there's just no answer. Maybe have the car ticketed if it's blocking a, a legitimate driveway. You call the call the ticketing authorities and have them put parking tickets on it. Hmm. Okay, Linda, thank you for this. The best of luck. It does not sound like a fun one to deal with, but thank you for calling. No, we've dealt with it for quite a while. It's okay. it's not. So, yeah. okay, thank you. Thanks thank again. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. Have a nice evening. You as Bye. well. We're going to go now to Adam uh, Westing in Toronto. Adam, tell us your, your thoughts. What's going on with you? Well, it's it's a very common complaint. It's dog people versus non-dog people. Our, our, our guest is laughing. Bob's having a little chuckle over there. What, what's going on? Well, I, we have people in the building who think that their dogs are the greatest thing in the world. And even though they crap all over the place and they won't clean up, um, we find that you can never tell them that this is their responsibility. And since we're in a condo, of course, it's not covered by the city. It's supposed to be us. And it becomes quite a, quite a, a tussle, let's put it that way. What what and sorts of interactions have you had, Adam? Have you been talking to the owners? Oh, yeah, they, they swear at you. Hmm. Bob, what's your, what, do you, what do you say to, to Adam about this problem? Rules, condominium rules can be enforced. The property managers or the board of directors has an obligation to uphold the rules and regulations and bylaws of the corporation. There's been all kinds of court cases about dogs and condominiums. And uh, if the condominium owners, if the condominium board won't enforce the dog rules, then you can go in Ontario to the Condominium Authority of Ontario. Uh, in, in other provinces, there must be uh, regulators, or you can take the condominium uh, board to court to enforce the rules. H- have you done any of that, Adam? I mean, have you gotten to that point? Uh, no, I haven't. And I probably wouldn't because this is a province, this is a city that likes dogs more than it likes children. So I really don't think uh, we 
I mean, it couldn't go anywhere. It sounds like Adam is is giving up. Is that is that the right approach? You don't have to give up, Adam. The uh, condos have an uh, an obligation um, to enforce the rules. Dogs and children have to obey the rules. And if they don't, uh, if they're annoying to other neighbors, if they're breaking the rules, if they're fouling the corridors or the common areas, uh, the board should hold them to account. Have you checked in with the condominium, Bob? What what does yep. it say? They say, well, first we have to prove it's that dog, <laughs> right? So it's got you've got to have photos of that dog. They're not going to take the poo and get it DNA tested. Um, and I talked to my counselor, and he said it's the one area we will never touch. That yeah, it's condominium. It's it's private. Mm-hmm. Anything to do with dogs. He says it's, it's. He says um, they have these fights over off-leash parks and stuff like that. And you, he says, you know. Do you, do you do you agree with that, Bob? I mean, do dogs have some? Do they have some special standard that that is impossible to meet, or or not? Dogs, people, babies, children. Everybody has to behave in a condo. There are rules, and when you have communal living like this, you got to obey the rules. And if the dogs don't, well, you can force them to to obey, but. Proving, proving whose uh, uh, droppings are there is another problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adam, thank you for that. It sounds like Bob's advice is thank not to fine. give up. Okay, Sylvie, Sylvie Terrien joins us now from Surrey, B.C. Sylvie, tell us uh, your thoughts. What question do you have for Bob today? Oh, I have lots of questions, but I'll limit myself. I understand you have lots of people. Um, I have trouble. I have helped concerned because of my downstairs neighbor are smoking cigarette over cigarette and now they smoke cannabis as well. Uh, It gives me migraine. The doctor wrote a letter to management. Uh, They're doing nothing. Uh, I, I have they it's it's such an issue, and um, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, uh, we have rules in D.C. You're not supposed to smoke indoor. Uh, you know, they're not. It's a subsidized housing for 55 plus. So I don't have the luxury of just moving, picking mm-hmm. up and moving, especially in the lower mainland Vancouver area. It's uh, I, I just I'm living in a subsidized housing right now it mm-hmm. says at all I don't have the mean so I am uh, totally my health is really bad I never want to go back home my home doesn't feel like a, my home anymore my apartment home it doesn't feel like my home anymore mm-hmm. uh, it's getting emotionally I'm getting really really uh, affected by that as well I have constant migraine and sore throat and uh, sinuses problems and these people downstairs deny smoking, which is ridiculous. They have been heavy smokers since ever since I began living there, mm. which is five years ago. It's S- just getting worse. Yeah, Sylvie, 
I'm, um, I'm, I'm sorry to yeah, hear all of this. Ahead. I'm sorry. sorry to hear all of this is going on. It yeah. certainly does not sound like it's a good time for you right now. Bob, when you hear Sylvie describe all of this to you, and I know that cannabis, cigarettes is, is, is something you're familiar with and the way it wafts to different neighbors. What are your thoughts? What is your advice for Sylvie well, right now? Well, there have been several court cases going back to 1984. There was one in uh, British Columbia in Saanich, which went up to the Court of Appeal in BC, and the courts have held that um, it's a violation of your charter rights if it disturbs you, if it, it affects your health, and it can go to the uh, courts or to the um, human rights people uh, in BC, and they can be forced to, to either vacate uh, the condominium or have their tenancy terminated if their smoking interferes with your health and your rights. Uh, there's very strong case law uh, in this area, and you might want to talk to uh, a legal aid person out there or to the human rights people to to get some advice in, in British Columbia about how to deal with this. Yeah, it sounds like Sylvie is, you know, she's living on a fixed income, she's in subsidized housing, and some of this would probably, I'm guessing, Sylvie, you tell me, would feel kind of overwhelming to imagine pursuing this in that way. Well, that's right. Overwhelming as well. I have limited means. And also, um, they told me that it's very difficult to prove because the people downstairs lie to management and management side with them because they, one of the management team, those two uh, people, go smoking with them. Like, it's ridiculous. It's almost uh, a crazy story. And I don't know what to do. Like, they lie. I cannot just go and, uh, I don't know, get into their suite and take a picture of them at three o'clock uh, smoking cannabis or mm. at midnight smoking. I don't know what to do. There's no, they told me that I needed proof. What, well, what, is, how, what is the proof, Bob? I mean, if Sylvie's saying she needs right. proof, how does she get it? Well, there was a case in 2003 uh, with Young versus the Saanich Police Department, and uh, it, it, the tenant was ordered out. Um, Sylvie can go to uh, the uh, public health people or the um, yeah, the, or public health people and and uh, or, the, or the legal aid people and have some action taken. I think it's obvious. You don't have to have a, a, a scientific analysis of where the smoke is coming from. I think it's going to be pretty obvious mm. where it's coming from. Well, thank you, Sylvie, for that call and the best of luck. We're going to go now to Jeff Melnichuk in BC. Uh, tell us, Jeff, what, what is your question for Bob today? Oh, good afternoon. It's, uh, hi, Bob. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I've, I've got, um, uh, I own a, a piece of property with a house on it. My next door neighbor has a house uh, <clears throat> next door to me. Uh, they, they built a woodshed on uh, a piece of my property. Uh, it shows um, it's about one foot over. Uh, the footings are one foot over onto my property um, and with, uh, with the retaining wall. Um, now, the, the shed was built before, before I bought the place, uh, before I bought, uh, bought the piece of property. Um, and um, so I had a certificate of location done at one point. And it shows it's, it's one foot over. Um, you know, I, I, it's, uh, I live in an area that has a lot of snow, uh, and the woodshed is designed also to dump the snow from the woodshed roof onto my property as well. Um, so I've, I've, I've approached the neighbor, and uh, I think I think there's some awareness of the the problem, but there's no, you know, there's no concrete action or no plan to 
to move at this point. So uh, I'm just, um, you know, I think I'll, you know, keep talking to the neighbor. I don't want to, you know, send anything to court or anything like that. But so just Jeff, wondering about your thoughts on that or the yeah. next steps. So Jeff, you want the you want the woodshed to be moved so none of it is on your property, if I'm hearing you right? That's right. Yeah, I don't want it on my property. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I certainly don't want all, all the snow dumped onto my property. It kind of makes makes a section of my property, you know, right. uh, uh, you know, not for my use. And Somebody so, else's use is how I see it. So, Bob, what is Jeff to do if there's something on his property that was there long before he took possession of all of this? What what can he do? There's uh, a lot of court cases about what we call an encroachment on on land. Uh, and one of the things you can do is have a talk with the neighbor. If he doesn't want to move it, which he probably won't, then you got to talk to a lawyer and say, look, uh, I, I want damages for trespass. Uh, another possibility is to charge him rent. Figure out some money per year that, that this encroachment is worth. Is it $50 or $5,000 a year to encroach on your property? Um, but ultimately, you're going to have to decide, is it worth paying a lawyer to take this to court, how much money is this worth to you, this encroachment? And ultimately, you're going to have to decide on a cost-benefit analysis, if it costs you X thousand dollars to get him to move his shed, is it worth it to you? Is it worth it, Jeff? I mean, one foot on your property, is it? Is it worth it? That's that's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a prime piece of property. I have a forty-five by one hundred lot, so it it reduces reduces my my area significantly, especially if there's you know, a large large amount of snow being uh, dumped onto it. But um, yeah, I certainly have no interest in going to court either. Maybe so. it's just the principle um, of the thing. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to go to court, uh, and he's not yeah. willing to move it, you're at an impasse. Maybe he'll just stop dumping snow on your property. Yeah, that's 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 possibility too. Although when mm. the you know the roof is is designed to shed snow in certain directions. Well, maybe yeah. move the snow back to his property. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, maybe redesign <laughs> the snow roof and. And have it dumped the other way. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, we'll have to check back in to see how that plays out for you. Thank you for calling in. Thanks for the call. Karen, you too. Karen Polischuk is in Winnipeg. Welcome to Checkup. What is your question for Bob Aaron today? Hi. Yeah. um, Hi. Good afternoon. And thanks for taking my call. Um, My question is, I live in a three-story walk-up condo. And across the the green space, when I face out to the north, there's green space. And then a parking lot. And there's an apartment block, a four-story apartment block across the way. And they used to have, so they have their lights on the, on, mounted on the, um, just under the roof of the building that would um, shine onto the parking lot, their parking lot. The yellow lights were bad enough to have them shining onto, right into our, our complex. But now they change them to white LED lights and they're just, they're blinding lights. What recourse do I have with that? Because in the in the you know I mean in the wintertime, I I, ha- I can close my drapes, but in the summertime sometimes you want to keep your drapes open. You know you want your window open, you want your patio open. I can't sit and enjoy my my balcony at you know ten thirty eleven o'clock at night. Sometimes there's problems that don't have a solution. <laughs> That's and... not the first time you've said that. <laughs> I'm not sure that there is a solution to this, except maybe asking them very politely, maybe trying the city councillor, maybe trying some kind of neutral mediator to see if we can fix it to to turn the, the lights into a different direction. But 
this isn't a case that's going to court. And so there may not be a solution unless you can mediate or uh, negotiate some kind of uh, moving the, the lights. Karen, have you had a conversation? Well, I went over to, like, they have a, they have a, um, a um, uh, you know, where you can go and rent, what do you call it? Like, they have a... Um, Management? Like, yeah. And I went over there, and um, she said, well, I'll give you the number of her manager. And I phoned, and I haven't gotten a response. Maybe try and find the name of the owner of the building. Go above the management to somebody who calls the shots. Maybe they would be more sympathetic to you. So I, I would, I, who am I call like, I would have to, I guess I would have to find out who owns it. How would I do that? Well, you could call the tax department and see where do you go, where do the tax bills get sent to? It's public knowledge. Where would they go? Yeah, well, you can ask the tax department where they mail the, who's the oh, name okay. of the owner on All the right. tax rolls. Okay, thank you. All right, well, there you go, Karen. I hope it works out for you, Bob. Uh, we don't have time for any more callers, but I am curious, sort of last words that you would of advice you would give for people who are struggling about some situation, a neighbor that they wish they had a solution to, although it sounds as though there's not always a solution. Unless you live way out in the country and you don't have any neighbors, the price of living in cities with neighbors in condominiums or neighbors who are three feet away from your house we just going to have to figure out ways to get along with each other and otherwise negotiate or failing that. And I don't recommend this, but sometimes you just have to go to court. And how you mentioned it's, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but it's expensive. How expensive can it be? I mean, if you're weighing, doing the cost balance or the cost analysis, what, when is, what is it worth? There was a court case, I, I don't have it in front of me, but but $70,000 in costs to... to and that was just one side yeah. uh, to, to negotiate, to, to go right through the court process. It's ugly. Yeah. So a cost-benefit analysis is useful. Is useful. Okay. Uh, Bob, Aaron, uh, thank you for joining us. I know that uh, a lot of these things you've heard before, and, and as you were listening to the callers, you would sort of shudder, silently close your eyes. Yes. As this was all old hat to you. So... Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not something that's easy, but it doesn't go away either. That's right. It's sad. Yeah. Bob Aaron, thank you for joining us on Cross Country Checkup. Bob Aaron is a real estate lawyer and columnist with the Toronto Star, and he was here in our Toronto studio. That's it for Check Up the Podcast this week. You have been listening to Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio from December 3rd, 2023. If you want to share comments or appear on the show, head to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to all who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Chuck Molgat, Theodore Van Buzikam, and Katrina Magahi. Special thanks to the CBC's Heather Moriarty, Walter Brinaldi, and Kira Mahoney. Our TV team is Caleb Isaac, Frankie Fiorini, Brendan Sylvia, and Josh Radza. Technical production and editing, Emily Chiarvesio, program assistant, Kiada Greco. Cross Country Checkup was produced this week by Abby Plenner and Steve Howard. Digital producer, Paul Hanchuk, and senior producer, Richard Goddard. I'm Rebecca Zanbergen in Toronto. Ian will be back next week. The next edition of Checkup the Podcast will be posted after the live show next Sunday.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.